welcome to Forever Canon, the podcast where we talk about our favorite Star Wars characters and the miserable war-torn lives that they had long before Mama Disney pressed the reset button. I'm Justin. And I'm Tim. And Kevin is away on special Rebel assignment. This week, we're going to talk about chapters 5 to 8 of Bloodlines, the second book in the Legacy of the Force series. But first, bum bum bum. Previously, on Forever Canon, Boba Fett is dying. Jason has a secret kid. Terrorism is booming on Coruscant. And a stroll with Grandpa Vader. But that was last week. This week, we start with Chapter 5. And we'll start with this intro, inset, what, insert, excerpt. At the top of the chapter. My fees 500,000 credits each for Han Solo and his son. If you want the Solo women folk and the Skywalkers too, that'll be extra. I remember the Solo kids, but I don't think they'll recognize me again. Aelin Haber, a.k.a. Aelin Vell. Bounty hunter to an intermediary for Thrak and Sal Solo. So we get a peek into the bounty that's been put on Han and his entire family. And we know that Aelin Vell is Boba Fett's daughter. So this is her talking to some middleman for Thrak and Sal Solo so he doesn't get his hands dirty. Yeah. And boy, is that price ever steep. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll kill two of them for 500,000 credits each. So start at a million, work your way up for more people if you want any more dead. Well, she's Boba Fett's kid, so... But you know what? I don't think she advertises that, but I bet you, skills-wise, she's just worth it anyways. Yeah. I don't think she advertises that she's Boba Fett's daughter. But I I don't uh, don't know. But I don't really think she does. I wouldn't think she would. She hates his guts. She's tried to kill him. She killed a clone of him, as as we've learned so far. Yeah. But now let's get to the real chapter, where we start on Coronet Corellia. Han is on the Falcon making some minor repairs and tune-ups. He says, Small vibrations become magnified. Eventually smash whole ships. Hmm. Does he recognize the significance of this metaphor when he has three unanswered (laughs) texts or voicemails or whatever from his son who is taking a stroll into the dark side? Does he recognize the irony of this at all? I don't think so. Probably not. I don't think so. He's focusing on the mundane things that he can fix immediately. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Falcon needs to be repaired regardless. But yeah, yeah, I mean, that's definitely the way that he's talking about it. But boy, is is that ever a fitting metaphor for everything that's going on in these books so far, right? Yeah. Like this Galactic Civil War has started as a small little problem. Just a few too many missiles. You're putting them in the wrong place. Yep. And now it's, you know, left unattended or, or improperly treated. It's growing and it's becoming worse and worse. Han and Jason, as I said, still haven't talked. It's been over two weeks. Yeah. This is after Centerpoint. They haven't talked since Centerpoint. Yeah. And obviously Han's going to have a problem with that, being Carillion and all. It's Everything just is becoming increasingly larger as a problem. Han tries to solve the Thraken problem while he's in the Zen mode of hand repairing the Falcon's hyperdrive. And he just thinks, um, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have to get a different ship and then I'm going to go there and I'm going to 
get a different apartment and then I'm going to kill him and then I'm just going to have to run. Great plan. Great yeah. plan, Hansel. It's really simple. Yeah. <laughs> Master murderer. Yeah. Although, but, go ahead. He says he says it it's not that simple. Yeah. In reality, yeah, and right. that's he why Boba Fett it. makes tons of money. He's right. There's a reason why Boba Fett gets paid what he gets paid. Yeah. Cuz it as easy as you might think it is to kill somebody. It's obviously not. And while he's lost in thought, he gets ambushed on his own ship by an unseen attacker. Blaster bolt barely misses Han. And he rolls underneath the hyperdrive housing. He's trapped. So trapped. Psych! He's saved by this sound, which they spell out near the bottom of the page. The sound of Leia's lightsaber as she slices the man to death. Uh, hiding in plain sight has obviously run its course and they decide they need to go back to Coruscant. Yeah, time to get out of there. Which means they're about to join the rest of the party and have that fateful meeting between Han and Jason. They have not talked to each other yet. Leia in the co-pilot seat, Han says, is almost like having Chewie there. Almost. Almost. As much as he loves his wife, as tight as and close as they are, almost as good. What can you do? How can you beat a big giant man dog who's been your best friend for your whole life? It's hard for her to live up to that kind of measuring stick. As they land on Coruscant, the Falcon, still unrepaired, is shaking and shuddering. And those small cracks are threatening to tear the whole ship apart. Break apart. Han's only home. Remember we were talking about home and all the threats to our homes and how home is going to change over the course of this book. And I use that very personal home is where the heart is. Yeah. Very home is your heart. If your heart's not in the millennium Falcon, I don't, don't be my friend. I'll tell you that right now, but they're both actually Han and Leia are genuinely worried. I'm sure they've had their, Millions of close calls over the years, but he's white knuckling and she is staring straight ahead. And I wondered too, as I was reading this, I'm like, I wonder if this is supposed to be a reflection of the Coruscant that they're coming back to also, where they have minor cracks and problems happening in their personal life right now. And coming back to Coruscant is going to shake the shit loose. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, I just... I never put the two together. I, I just kind of keep trying to think about, like, why are you writing this? Yeah. Why? Because the Millennium Falcon doesn't need to be breaking apart when they're coming back to Coruscant. So it is for a reason. So what's that reason? I think it's a bad omen. <laughs> I think they should have a bad feeling about this. I think all these unresolved issues are threatening to tear their home apart. Carillion and Coruscanti, violence breaking out. Their family is straining even more. Their son is straight up slipping. The government's starting to fracture. And Luke is for sure going to lecture them, Han thinks. No, of course. He's, he's about to get a talking to you from the Grandmaster. But now we cut to Plaza of the Core on Coruscant. Lumaya is coming. Jason can feel her. He can practically track her. I wonder if if he's feeling kind of like this isn't in this part of the writing, yeah. but proud of himself for he's, he, through the force, it 
get right. over here. He's definitely got to be satisfied about yeah. that. And she's coming. Yeah. He scorpioned her, and she's coming. Yeah. Get over here. And then here she comes. <laughs> yeah, easy. No, Yeah, easy peasy. <laughs> he's sitting with Ben. He's waiting, and he notices Ben is growing slash wearing a little Jedi apprentice braid. Even though, Jason points out, he's not technically an apprentice. And I keep forgetting that. I keep forgetting that he's just like special assignment to his cousin to hang out with his cousin. This yeah. is not an official master apprentice relationship. No. According to the, you know, the the rules and edicts of the Jedi Order. This is just an unofficial hangout thing. So for then for Luke to give Jason so much latitude as to send his son to center point is really weird. Because they're not officially apprentice and master. But then again, you know, you factor in all the personal stuff that they were talking about where, like, Jason's the only person to make Ben like the Force. Yeah. Doesn't want to, maybe doesn't want to risk Ben slipping back Certainly again. not at the, at, the, at the beginning of the first book. He didn't want to. Yeah. Even, even though he's not an official apprentice, you know, he's just a regular 13-year-old that we take on galaxy-changing missions. He's just, that's fine. He doesn't have to be an apprentice. We'll no. just... We'll just have him sabotage a, a galaxy-changing weapon. Nope, no big deal. Sounds like a good plan to me. Yeah. His latest mission, though, was a little more low-key. And Jason wants to ask Ben for a report. Ben says the sanctuary was scary. People are mad and talking about fighting on Coruscant. And Jason tells Ben a little bit about war. It's always interesting to note what sparks wars. It's often something relatively small, but for some reason it just tips the situation into chaos. That's the real enemy, isn't it, Ben? said. Chaos. Jason almost shivered. I just Me did. too. I just <laughs> I got goosebumps, man. That was exactly what he was talking about before, and, and it's what Leia and Admiral Limpin were talking about. The tipping point where right now they're just on the edge of order, about to fall into full chaos. And it seems like Jason is like a harbinger of chaos. As much, yeah. as, as much as he thinks what he's doing is keeping the world together, he seems to be driving it more further, further and further apart. He's doing the right thing from a certain point of yeah. view. <laughs> that unfortunate certain point of view. I guess. Jason says about that that Ben said about the chaos. He's like, it's almost a Sith sentiment. He's like, the enemy is chaos. Sounds a lot like Jason's current philosophy. In fact, then he says, Ben would make a good apprentice. Just as Lumaya shows up in a dark, dark red pantsuit, looking the part of independent academic. And yet Ben almost feels like he recognizes her. Damn, Jason, are you trying to get caught? Are you trying to get caught? Maybe this is a cry for help. Please, please bust me and stop me from doing what I, whatever I think I got to do. Please yeah. catch me. You know? Yeah, Be- especially like when, because when she, he sees her and he magnifies himself in yeah. the force. Hello, you made yourself a beacon. Well, I think he wanted her to find him, but like, yeah, it's not just her, right? Like, yeah. He seems to be only thinking about things to a certain point and then not beyond that point. It's kind of seems like out of character for him, but I don't know. 
People cry out for help in different ways. Jason, on the other hand, wants to talk to Lumaya at the Jedi Temple. He says, temptation and threat all in one package. Ben, though, is going to go check out Fleet Ops. Nyathal said he could. That's weird. He's 13. He's yeah. not a part of the government. Nor He's... should he be in any capacity offici- or officially related with the whatever Nyathal's current position is, the head of the Navy. Yeah, or Space Navy. he's not an official Jedi. Why? Yeah, he's, he's not. He, he's, he's a 13-year-old 13 13 kid, man. <laughs> so why the heck did Nyathal invite him? I just That struck me as weird. Mm-hmm. That's all. You know, it's not, it's not inconsistent, but it's a strange one. Mm-hmm. So he leaves to go do that. Lumaya comments, oh, Luke Skywalker's son is growing up. That's weird. For a old flame slash old enemy that must be so this must be so weird for jason i know i keep saying weird but like weird everything's so twisted and tangled man like you're hanging out you're you're hiding secrets you're secretly hanging out with your uncle's old lover who used to work for darth vader and tried to kill your uncle but now you want to learn from her and you got to keep it a secret from everybody especially your uncle and your cousin whose brain you have washed. I don't... You know what? I don't know. It's weird. But Lumaya... He's got to keep track of that stuff, man. Yeah, it's... You know what? You're going to have to pay the price on that one eventually. But Lumaya has a question for Jason. Have you decided to let me help you achieve your destiny? And his simple answer? Yes. Just a yes. That's it. There Not- you go. Over and over, he gets... This is like like proverbial Jesus's friends where like he gets so many opportunities to deny and yeah. deny and change his mind and back out and choose the light and choose the different path. And there are no times when he takes that choice. He just is hell bent on the path that he is on. And right after he says, yes, she tries to mess with his emotions a little bit. Yeah. Because he could only see her eyes, but he felt her try quite deliberately to touch his mind. Right. So actually trying to push him, but if you think if he feels it, yeah, if it would work. See, I read that differently. I read that the way like she was just trying to see if he's being sincere or like how committed he is. I thought she was just trying to read his emotions. Oh, not, okay, not like to, just by looking into his eyes kind yeah. of deal. I, well, like trying to touch his mind to feel how okay. honest or true that he is about wanting to do this, right? That's what I think, but hey, it could be what it you could be, also. could be either one. Could either, be both. either way, they head to the temple and they have a little walk and talk on their way through there. Jason finding various ways to test her true ambitions. Lumaya tells him he's going to have to learn fast. This whole tipping point into chaos, eh? It's tipping. <laughs> it's quick. It's coming. Yeah. Just another weapon in the arsenal, Jason says, thinking about the Sith knowledge he's going to get. Another weapon. Not a tool. Nope. Could be a tool in a toolkit, Jason. Yeah. But it's not. It's distinctly described by him as a weapon. Well, <laughs> you can only use weapons for fighting. You can use tools for solving problems. Yes. Tools fix things. Weapons. Weapons kill. Weapons serve a different purpose. I just thought, again, you make that distinction on purpose as the writer. 
Yeah. You know? So those are the kind of things where it catches my attention. I'm like, all right, a weapon, you say? Yeah, maybe it's a little insight into Jason not so much thinking as as, as more of a as a Jedi normally would is yeah. trying to fix things. I don't think I don't think he's being as impartial about everything that he seems to think he is. You know? No, but he, he comes up with a final <laughs> test for Lumaya in the temple. What is it? It's a big one. Well, the the High Council meeting is getting out, so let's go crash that. We'll go sit out in the hallway, and we'll wait to be found by the Jedi High Council. And here we go. Jason actually second-guesses himself. You're insane, he told himself. What if you're wrong? What if Luke can censor? Who's going to help you attain full Sith knowledge if Lumaya is killed or imprisoned? Yeah, are you crazy? Are you trying to yeah. get caught? For real. But then he says something even weirder. He says he had to get used to that. He had to trust his reactions, not as impulses to be doubted, but as decisions. That's a bad idea, dude. Yeah. What are you talking about? You're supposed to be the the logic processor, super thoughtful guy. And now all of a sudden you're you're convincing yourself that my first reaction is the right reaction and I must (laughs) trust it as if it's a telling from the force. Reactions are decisions. That's bad. That's a bad way to do things. Tell that to Admiral Klauskin when he was taking Trellis. Tell that to Grandpa (laughs) Vader when he was murking kids out there. And that sounds like how a five-year-old would think. Man. Like, their first reaction is what they go with. I, I I think he's so scared that he's doing the wrong thing that he's just grasping at anything telling him that he might be doing the right thing. He's gone completely blind on this path already. Yep. Completely blind. But we do get a cool force power description. Jason trying to hide his emotions from Luke and trying to cast an illusion around Lumaya to make her even less recognizable than whatever she's doing in the force. He says he can feel a ball of heat in his chest. He's trying to keep it from touching his rib cage. Neato, but maybe that's just guilt, bud. Because you're being a liar. <laughs> Just a pit in your stomach. It's not... <laughs> that ball of fire in your chest there <laughs> makes you feel bad? Maybe. Heartburn. guilt. <laughs> I don't know. Luke still seems to sense that something is off, but they get away with this stunt anyways. Lumaya is not happy with Jason, and Jason feels her real anger. She says, if I wanted to kill Luke, I don't need to go through you, you freaking idiot. I'm not using you to kill your uncle. Stop testing me. Stop doubting me. Lumaya even says, the Jedi are not my enemy. They're people with only half the picture who believe they have all the facts. It makes their decisions flawed. Yeah. It kind of She's does. not wrong. It's, yeah. that's, a, it's a That's a healthy evaluation of the Jedi, man. Like. They only look at things from one side of the thing of, of the of the argument. Yeah. And they never really look past that. Jason very willing to look past that. But right now, he feels his mom in danger. Cut to the Karelian quarter on Coruscant. Ben's fleet ops meeting is all finished. This thirteen year old is all finished yep. with his meeting with the head of the fleet, no big deal. It's finished up early, so he's gone back to Karelia Town to try to wrap his head around the us-and-them mentality at home on Coruscant. Turns out, another terrorist attack might have happened. The water in this area 
has been contaminated. Maybe sabotage. People are saying they'll blame us. The war is here if we want it or not. That's not wrong. No. But think, think about that. How many people don't want to fight about it? Yeah. This is all high-level government stuff that, you know, the regular people all just get caught up in. And, mo- and most of the regular people don't care. Especially if you're somebody living on Coruscant. And you're like, I've lived here all my life. I just happen to be Karelian by descent. And now my life is being ruined in my home because other people did something bad far away. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pervasive the way that the violence is coming into these people's homes. And Ben feels that thunderstorm of anger and violence building up More again. More storms. Loves them, th- loves them he thunderstorms. He loves them. Ooh, rumble, rumble. Lightning strike. The Coruscanti, meanwhile, are rioting outside the Karelian embassy. One guy says, we should have smashed your whole planet, not just center point. Yikes, bud. Yeah, it's a bit much. That's like billions of people you're talking about. <laughs> it's a little bit of an overreaction to your water being poisoned. At this moment... It- it finally occurs to 13-year-old Ben that this is all his fault. By destroying Centerpoint, he has started a galactic civil war. Uh, He's not wrong. Well, it's not. It's not his fault. You follow the orders. Yeah. But as we see moving forward, that's not something that Ben is going to learn the distinction of. Following orders and responsibility is is a complicated chain chain of command type of thing. Yeah. Because sometimes you'll follow orders and you're doing what someone else told you to do. And no matter how much you say that. You're still not doing the right thing. You're still the one that did it. Yeah. And for his sins at center point, he ends up getting trampled here in the riot. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> 13-year-old boy trampled by a bunch of grown-ups throwing rocks and bottles and stuff over at the cops that are guarding this Karelian embassy. Until the blue glove of Coruscant Security Forces. Reaches up to pull him from the ground. He gives his, He's standing face to face with this officer when he notices a little blonde haired Karelian. Oh, could it possibly be? It is. Barrett Say from the sanctuary. <laughs> he sees him pull a blaster and fire on the officer. Quick deflect with the lightsaber. Quick lie about it being a rock and not a gun. Yeah. Ben wants to get picked up, but Jason isn't picking up chapter six we get a much shorter intro insert excerpt the bigger the galaxy the sweeter the homecoming Karelian proverb okay i didn't get this one. Oh, it's the further you go from home the better it is to come home oh okay yeah that's that makes a lot of sense. So this is like okay, I did not get that the first time. I was like, who? This is what I here's what I wrote, huh? Who's coming home? <laughs> um, so I guess what the idea is like all the Karelians spread across the galaxy. Okay, it's like a, it's like a, a conversation on their what would you call that loyalty? What do you call that? Your na- national your patriotism patriotism. That's it. Yeah. I get it. I get things. I understand Star Wars. Moving on. I don't... Come on. I get that. You guys, catch up. (laughs) Chapter 6 really starts in the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. Jason is ignoring Ben's calls because his mom is reaching out to him. She's in danger. And Jason force listens. 
During his studies, Jason had mastered a Theron technique that let him use the Force to hear remotely. He slowed his breathing and felt the buzz in his sinuses as if he were being woken too soon from an exhausted sleep. The buzzing filled his head, and then behind it, within it, he could pick out words and sounds. Okay, that's that's a new force power that I've never heard of. He is listening through somebody else's mind across space. He is on the ground of this planet, and his mother is at the upper atmosphere of this planet. This guy, man. This guy <laughs> is powerful. He feels his mom straining, using the force to keep the Falcon from breaking apart. So what does he do? He channels his energy through the force, through his mom, to help her keep the Millennium Falcon together. And they land safely. And Jason heads straight for them. And on the way, he has a thought. He was the new heir to the Sith legacy, and he had seen his grandfather behave in a way that had almost shattered his world. But at that moment, he was just a son who was more worried about his parents' welfare than the affairs of the galaxy. These problems are going to be left to grow to the point of breaking. Yep. But consider what just happened with the Falcon. Together, as a family, they held it together and everything was okay. Again, I'm finding another metaphor here. Yeah. (laughs) Stop me if I'm wrong. But I think this is just another sign of if they would open up and talk to each other, like that deleted journal entry yeah. that he had. And work together. They could probably stop the galaxy from breaking apart. Yeah. No, but, that makes perfect sense. But the, they're not going to because Jason's not going to talk to anybody. Cut to Slave 1. Boba Fett. Says it's weird having this girl on my ship slash in my home, the only home I've ever known. Does that sound familiar? Oh look, here we are that's, seeing. That's the same as the like the last four chapters where they drew the parallel between it, Han yeah. and Boba Fett too. Han and Boba Fett just keep mirroring mirroring their emotions, and I love it. I love them oh, being yeah. portrayed portrayed as like the same guy on opposite sides of the killing spree. <laughs> <laughs> like how many times over the years did one of these guys get the upper hand by? thinking like the other guy like when they were ever having a one-on-one altercation how many times over the years did they just think like the other person and outsmart each other that way yeah because they're so much the same but who's this stranger on his ship he's talking about Murta gev don't forget Murta. Murta gev had a piece of his past that mattered a lot when he was running out of future i wrote i wanted to point that line out because it sounds like a old timey like noir detective line <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah she had a piece of his past that mattered a lot when he was running out of future so from now on i'm going to picture everything boba fett does as like black and white noir detective yeah film. cigar I, I'm cigarette or something exactly a haze of smoke everywhere <laughs> yeah yeah and believe me having read forward after making this note god does it fit it fits great <laughs> Fett sets a course for Runadan, wondering what he will say to Tan Wee, because he's definitely finding her. As they're approaching the planet, he realizes he wants to die in his ship. Set course and drift off to nothing. 
which then reminds him he has nothing, nobody, and doesn't know what his life has been about. You know, uh, that, that, that old light, lighthearted uh, death, death stuff that yeah. Boba Fett's going through here. He's dying, you know? I don't know if you noticed that. He only says it to himself every other paragraph in the first yeah, he does. bunch of chapters of this book. He decides, when he gets to the planet, that he's going to lock Merita in the ship while he goes noir detecting. She starts calibrating her weapon, and Fett is impressed. She's not a complete fool like everyone else. 71-year-old bounty hunter thinks most people are dumb. News alert. Shocking. Yep. Can you imagine that? Boba Fett clears customs on Runadan. Uh, how does he do it? As Master Vet. The Mando version of Fett. Wow, super slick. Yeah. He essentially does the same thing that Han Solo has done four times, I think, so far through the books. Go through customs as himself. Pretend. Pretend. To be so close to the actual version that nobody even questions what you're doing. Amazing. And see, these that's what I don't get. Like, they're all so famous, so well-known. And <laughs> Boba Fett, in his case, so feared that he just... Yeah, okay. Yeah, I don't... Just walk in. I don't understand that, too. But it's... I guess it's just like a play on the, like, psychological thing of, like... You ever run into your teacher at the grocery store when you're a kid and it like blows your mind and you can't believe you're not really sure if that's them. Maybe you're like, Oh, when you see somebody out of context and you can't quite place them. But if you see them in the context that you normally see them, I Boba Fett kicks down your door and he's pointing a blaster at your face and he says, you're coming with me. You're going to recognize him right away. (laughs) Right. But when he's coming through customs with a slightly different name, you're like, Ah, oh, so it's definitely not Boba Fett. Like, I, I don't know, man. This, is that joke? I, is that joke getting a little old or what? I don't know. But even though he doesn't need a disguise to get through customs, the first thing he does is find a bathroom to get in disguise. Rocket launcher and jetpack off. Cloak on. Helmet off. Bam! Disguise complete. He's looking at his face in the bathroom mirror, and he says, Even the scars from the time he escaped the Sarlacc's acid gut weren't that conspicuous now. He could pass for any fit man in his early 70s. How did he escape the Sarlacc's gut? Did you ever read that, Tim? No. I was really hoping you were going to have the answer for me, man. I I I don't know, but I really want to know. Either way, now that he's fully disguised, Boba Fett steps into public view without his helmet for the first time in his adult life. The man is 71 years old. For the first time as a grown-up, he's going outside without his helmet on. That is commitment. Yeah. Yes, it is. (laughs) Holy moly. First time in his 70, in his 50, first time in his 55 years that he's, yeah. Stepping out into public. Amazing. Chapter 7. We get a medium to long size intro insert excerpt. Luke, you know very well that it's about a lot more than stopping Corellia having her own deterrent. It's tempting to reveal that little surprise in the Curious Cluster to show people why we mean business. But for the time being, we're just going to have to sit on it and hope we can persuade Corellia to disarm before our justification shows up on Coruscant. This is Callow Mass talking to Luke Skywalker 
and Admiral Nyathal. Talking about, they he still wants to try to talk the Karelians into disarming. That would take some doing. He's an optimist. The surprise in the Curus cluster, I think, is the Karelian fleet yeah, it's that the they've been fleet. secretly building. Yeah, because the way that he the way that it's written, where he says. Uh, to show people why we mean business. And then he says, hopefully we can persuade them before the reason why shows up here at Coruscant. Yeah. So they're discussing the secret fleet that Corellia has and how do we solve this problem without a freaking war? Everybody's spending a lot of time trying to avoid this war. Jason is trying to embrace it and force it and force his way through it. Yeah. Like, like, a foot stomping down the garbage when the bag is too full. <laughs> like Nobody that. wants to take the responsibility of taking out the trash right now. Yeah. But he's going to smash that trash all the way down to the bottom of the bag, tie that bag, and throw it out in the space. That's what this guy's all about right now. I don't know. Weird. Weird metaphor. Yeah. I think it kind of works. Good symbolism, though. Good, uh, good. Uh, what's that? Imagery. Thank you, sir. I like the imagery. Thank you. Thank you. I, you know, I'm good at images. Chapter 7 really starts in Galactic City Public Landing Area 337 slash B. Han and Leia sit in the Falcon just after their near-death experience. Leia is describing what happened in the Force for Force-blind Han. She shrugged. No idea. It was like getting a force booster pack from nowhere. He's my kid and I don't know who he is anymore. But he comes up trumps when he's needed, so maybe I should shut my mouth. No! <laughs> stop it! All of you stop justifying yeah. not doing the right thing and stepping up to this guy and telling him that he's fucking up. Yeah, stop it. Every, even his own mom justifying it. Oh my god. You're getting a little uh, worked up over there. <laughs> Like, I just i i want to i want to see the alternate reality of these books, where somebody says something to him and asks him to stop at the beginning. Yeah, I would love that. I would love that. Instead of every chance somebody gets, they bite their tongue because he always comes through in the end. Yeah. You know, like how we've talked about the Jedi confidence and stuff like that, and how it's earned. Well, so is that. So is that her her saying, maybe I should just shut my mouth. That is earned. It is legitimate as much as it is infuriating because, like, just talk to somebody if you think they're doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Even in real life. It's a PSA again for Forever Canon. Write it down. If you think somebody's doing the wrong thing, just talk to them. Just say it. But especially in this case, <laughs> I yeah. just, it is, it is earned, though. Yeah, especially when you're the person you're supposed to be talking to. Has the power of a Jedi. <laughs> Not the and power just like of a super powerful yeah, one. like the best like. of all the Jedi. Jedi aside, Han just wants to have a normal year where nothing goes wrong and the kids aren't in danger. Meanwhile, he's still plotting Thraken's death in his head. That would be a slightly abnormal year for the Solo and Skywalker families. That would be very abnormal, but he wants to have regular people's normal. He wants normal people normal. He doesn't want superhero normal anymore. No. Han heads back to the cockpit to find Jason sitting head-to-head with his mom, having a little hearty-to-heart. And Han hugs him so hard he can feel his ribs through his robes. The man clearly misses his son, and this is like a really sweet little moment. 
in light of this near death tragedy, they're actually taking a few moments to like be together. It's surprising to be honest because, uh, I just assume they're all really used to almost dying. Yeah. But they're still rattled. And so they take the time to be together. And as Jason tells Han and Leia to stay with him at his place, you know, bounty hunters and such, Jaina arrives wearing her pilot jumpsuit, the orange Galactic Alliance pilot jumpsuit. And Han doesn't like that at all. Or how quickly he forgets to be thankful to be alive. <laughs> he doesn't yeah. like that either. Which I thought is, that's a nice, throw that in there, like a realization for him. She, Karen Travis, not just she, Karen Travis is doing an awesome job with the emotional depth that she's writing into these characters. And I don't know if it's just a trick of saying one thing and then, and then, and then mirroring the reverse right against it in the next sentence as one thing is the outward action and one thing is the inward thought. Yeah. I don't know if that's just a fucking trick, but like. I'm doing this weird thing with my hand right now, flipping it over and thrusting it forward. But I don't know if that's just a trick, but it's working. It's it's really good. Man. It is working. And I like that it, in this little scene, Jason is doing all the wrong things. Yeah. And Han's like, oh, oh, I love you. I love right. you. Jaina yeah. shows up in her pilot outfit and he's pissed. That is like walking into his home, waving the enemy flag. Yeah. Because... When I was reading the scene, I kept picturing them out on the dock, like outside of the Falcon. Yeah. But no, they're in the cockpit of the Falcon. Like this Which is Han's is, most not... intimate place in his life. Yeah. And she walks in there, his own daughter, wearing enemy colors. And what does she do? She doesn't go a little head-to-head, heart-to-heart, or a, a rib-crushing hug. She shakes her parents' hands and nods at Jason. Damn, Jaina. Just, that's cold. That's real cold. Damn. Han's heart is broken that she has sided with what he calls galactic totalitarianism. Kudos to me for not bungling that word right there. I like it. Jaina just pops in for a quick second to make sure everybody's all right. But she's got to go. But she's got some parting words for Jason. You don't feel right to me lately, Jason. Are you in trouble? Finally, somebody, Finally says somebody directly says something to him. And who does it take? His twin sister. The closest person you possibly could possibly be close to as a person, possibly as close as possible. His twin sister. And what does he say? He's just busy. Just been busy. Yo. Yeah. I'm just busy. That's all. So many chances for anybody to step in and try and reach him. She finally tries. But I think at this point, he's not reachable anymore. And Somebody finally reaches their hand out to him. There's no hand to, to grab anymore. Well, yeah, because he just, whatever, a chapter that, ago. That walk with Vader, with, right? Uh, walk with Vader, the walk with Lumaya where he's thinking to yeah. himself, my reactions are now, are my decisions. Right. He's, he's made that decision. Yeah, that... to stop making decisions and <laughs> yeah. only make reactions. <laughs> But I think you're right, man. I think after, like, and like they said, too, like Lumaya said to him, you got to learn fast because events are tipping quickly. Events are happening rapidly. Yeah. Center point was two weeks ago, man. Two weeks ago, you were committed to being a Jedi. Now you're not. <laughs> now you're not. Not at Even all. Even your sister can tell that you're in trouble, man. 
But Jaina's words stick in Han's head as they leave for Jason's apartment. Uh, the are you in trouble part, specifically. Cut to Jason's apartment on Coruscant. This must be the Solo family showing up. Wrong. Psych. You would be mistaken. It's Luke and Mara waiting in the lobby of the apartment building for Ben. They felt something happen in the forest, so they came to check up on him. As any good Grandmaster and Master Jedi parents would. Yeah. He walks in all swollen and teary from the riot gas and the trampling. <laughs> and as Ben fills him in on what happened, they find themselves upstairs singing in Jason's apartment, wondering when their rebellious son grew into a more dutiful man. They seem shocked that he's changed. Yeah, maybe maybe that happened shortly after you let him do this galactic changing mission. Yeah. Maybe after you send a 13-year-old in as a sabotage weapon, maybe that's when he became a man. Weird how that happens, eh, parents? Weird. Isn't that weird? Wow. Unexpected. Shocking, even. These. This is... That's dumb. I don't know why Luke and Mara are being, like, so blind to their son or whatever. I don't know. Is it just, like, a 13-year-old doesn't bond with his parents yeah, <laughs> during that time be. or something? I don't know. But there's, they seem like they're being real dense. About expecting him to stay the same dude. <laughs> it's, it's weird. And then, at the perfect time, Jason, Han, and Leia show up. They swap quick stories about riots and near crashes before Luke and Han drop into another full blast argument. They can't reconcile their differing opinions. The web is too tangled. Han is Karelian. His kids are Jedi and GA pilots. And his wife is a Jedi. He thinks the Galactic Alliance is overstepping their bounds and forcing people to do what they don't want to do, just like the Empire. And he's not wrong. He's not wrong. He's not wrong about the GA. He nope. even says to Luke, I'll tell you how long we've known each other. Long enough for you to know that the way the Alliance is behaving should give you that proverbial bad feeling. The kind I get. I just really like that they, uh, I love when they throw back to the bad feeling lines. That's so good. But he's right, man. Luke, yeah. should, Luke should be getting a bad feeling about what's going on. And that's not to say that he's not, but we don't get a lot of Luke chapters. No. We don't get a lot of uh, from his perspective. Yeah, and, and almost none, like he's had maybe one line of inner monologue. Yeah, that's it. Not very much of his perspective. So maybe he is seeing that and. There's nothing he can do about it because the Jedi are now sort of beholden to the government again. But, man, flashback 50 fucking years and that was the goddamn problem in the first place. The Jedi unable to act freely because they're bound to the government. Han clears out and Luke finally starts asking the important questions. Such as, what is force channeling and how the hell did you do it, Jason? What is this force channeling? This guy even blows Luke Skywalker's mind. Yeah. This. Is why I love Jason. Moments like this are why I love Jason. He is so powerful as a Jedi. And as a kid, watching these Star Wars movies, all you want to be is a powerful Jedi with control over your life. Your surroundings, the world around you. This guy is on another level. Jason tells him, I'll tell you what I did, Luke. I'm not going to keep this secret. No. For whatever reason. It's like what we did. To stop the Killicks. I've read those books. I don't remember what the hell they did. To stop the Killicks. 
Either way, Luke says... I read him, but I don't remember. Yeah, I know. Luke says, not quite, though, he thinks. He, he thinks he's not telling me everything. Well, wouldn't you like to take that as a sign for other things in your life? Come on, you guys. Wake up out there. Yeah. Then, as Jason turns away, Luke catches a whiff of familiar perfume. Dun, dun, dun! Lumaya is here. He feels it. He knows it. And Luke knows Lumaya. He thinks, shall I warn Jason that Lumaya has come back? Will he listen to me? It's nothing, said Luke. My God, just talk to each other. <laughs> Damn. Damn. Yeah. The grown-ups are blowing it. Jaina yeah. tried. She came. Again, I say grown-ups because I picture everybody as 18, but they're 31. <laughs> the kids are 31. The grown-ups are 60 and 70. And the uh, this whole that moment where he catches that that feeling with the perfume, yeah, it it brings him back to his force dream. He he says, right. "I know who the hooded man is. I know now." Right, and it's not a man. It's Lumaya. It's Lumaya. He thinks I forgot about that crucial part. Yeah, he thinks the hooded man is Lumaya. So much like when we were talking about. Mara saying Jason's just got a complicated love life. That's why he feels so conflicted. Another red herring to set you on the wrong path so that you don't intersect with Jason and stop him. Yeah. And this is, he thinks it's Lumaya. This is another one of those perception overriding facts. Like when the terrorist thing, the willful ignorance again, right? Yeah. He knows she's bad. Doesn't want Jason to be bad. Yeah. So, okay. It's the same thing with like Leia, right? It's like, Jason has earned the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. By being a hero time and time and time and Just time by being and time awesome. again. By really? being the greatest Jedi that ever existed. Suck it, Ben Solo. Suck it, Kylo Ren. Not that he's not cool too, but he ain't my Jason Solo. No, I was he's wa- not. okay. I was watching episode eight with the other with the kids the other night. Yeah. And they're like, we're talking about it, asking questions, and Seth's like, Who's Ben Solo? And I'm like, he ain't no Jason Solo. And he goes, who's Jason Solo? I'm like, we will talk <laughs> Yeah, you get older. But now, chapter eight. We got another intro insert excerpt. This one maybe the longest one yet. Corillian militants have claimed responsibility for contaminating water supplies to parts of Galactic City with Fex M3. The attack, which left 456 dead and more than 5,000 with nerve damage, sparked yesterday's riots outside the Corillian Embassy. CSF has doubled its police presence in Galactic City in a bid to prevent escalation of unrest. Galactic City authorities have declared a full terror alert and are asking the public to remain vigilant. But Admiral Cha Nyathal has called for tough action to crack down on potential terrorists. The HNE Morning Bulletin. So we get a look, little look into the news. Yeah. Full terror alert. I remember those days. Yep. What? Uh, they had orange level? They... Yeah, orange was bad, wasn't it? I think orange was... Was orange worse than red? I don't remember. I think red would be worse. Either way, I think the most important thing to pull out of this is the population is under a terror alert, so they're going to be pretty high-strung. And also, that Nyethal is publicly calling for more government action against these terrorists. Which is She's not the smartest. to the public. Like, she shouldn't be... What? I don't know if... I don't know if you know... But it's going to pay off for her later in this chapter. Yeah, although she is 
She is military. It's political right? maneuvering, is what it is, right? Yeah. So, so you want you want to to be on the the side of the people. You want to be on the side of public opinion, and she thinks that most people would agree with her. So she goes to the press and makes a statement publicly. It's putting pressure on the government to actually do something, and it doesn't make her look bad because there's going to be enough people that agree with her. But where do we really start this chapter? In Omas's office on Coruscant. Omas is throwing some water propaganda into the news. Look how safe this water is. I drink it just like you. Celebrities, they're just like us. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Then the press starts hammering him with real questions. Are you doing enough to protect the people? How real is the terror threat? And some politicians are calling for internment camps for Karelians. Getting to get, oh, that's heavy, man. That's that's that's, that's bad. That's, that's too bad. much, I think. Yeah. Jason, meanwhile, is standing by watching. He thinks internment. That's my dad. You're talking about. He jumps right to thinking about his own family first. Right away, jumps right to the wrong move. But that's his reaction, man. You gotta trust that decision. Yeah. Hello. Maybe if he would pay attention to this, he would realize not all his reactions which he's supposed to blindly trust are impartial. Not all of them are impartial. Look at that. Yeah. You just had an emotional reaction. Jason solo computer brain. Senator Gasil arrives after the interview. This is why Jason is here to do some politicking. Yeah. And bef- before we get into that whole conversation that they have, yes. right after that, um, my father, you're talking about with thing. Yeah. It goes on, uh, people being caught in the crossfire. like, someone has to get a grip on the situation, and it's me. Yeah. Somebody has to stop the galaxy from spiraling out of control. I'll do it. No problem. I guess I'll do it. Yeah, like, mm, this man has some ego. It's not even reluctant acceptance anymore. It's, well, I'm going to do it. And the, the thing that he com- keeps coming back to is, like, Lumaya laid this out for me. She showed me the path. She told me what was like where I'm supposed to be. And it seems to be everything is heading in that direction. So I trust it. Yeah. You know, he, that's why he stays convinced. Omas wastes no time in this meeting offering Jason the security position that Mara turned down earlier. Omas and Gasil even come right out and say secret police. Yes, they do. Jason's not against it, but he wants more control. I need my own team from the military and a few other sources. A team that's visibly separate from CSF. If civilian police are seen raiding homes and rounding up residents, it's going to make ordinary policing hard. Politically, it has to be separate. A Galactic Alliance Special Guard, if you like. Who does he want for his Galactic Alliance Guard? Captain Shivu, of course. Of course. Of course, we remember him from the meeting, the security meeting that they were having when Mara turned down the thing. That's why the man got named. That's why the man got described. Because he's coming up in the book, okay? Yeah. Come on, pay attention. They would make a formidable team. He, Ben, and Shivu. He thinks to himself, don't forget he runs Ben's life. <laughs> don't don't forget about that. I'm just going to drag him in. Don't worry about that. I'm going to test him as a potential Sith apprentice. Even though he's only 13, he's not officially an apprentice. And he's not even officially a Jedi, really. But if Jason is going to take up the Sith Lord mantle, 
He can make his he own can, damn rules, right? He can right? make his rules however yeah, he wants. That's right, man. <clears throat> Cut to Runadan. Boba Fett is in a taxi, feeling naked without his helmet. The taxi driver looks him in his actual eyes. And I thought this was pretty funny. He asks him, are you a scientist? And Boba Fett replies, I'm an anatomist. And then he thinks to himself, yes, I know precisely where to shoot any one of a thousand species for maximum stopping power. I'm <laughs> <laughs> a scientist of murdering. Boba Fett is damn funny in this book, man. He's great. And he's nervous about having to make small talk at the bar. He's going to a bar to gather information, as he does. You know, he did it once already. He went and met a Mandalorian at a bar who answered every single one of his questions. Got all the information he needed. But he's nervous about doing this without his helmet on. While making the small talk, we get to see him being an ordinary guy. He never gets to be a regular dude. He always has his helmet on, right? He's like, this is the first time in my adult life I haven't had my helmet on. He has a beer. He eats some peanuts. He has a little chit chat. This is great. This is like, this is, you want, you want a little taste of this. If you're going to get something about Boba Fett, you want to see the side of him. That's not just mercenary killer, right? Yeah. Let's see him do something he's never done before. Sit in public with his helmet off and have a beer and peanuts. This is so cool, man. The rare look at him just trying and internally struggling just to be normal. He gets the information he needs. He's on the wrong planet. He's following the wrong company, but now he knows where to go. All my questions have been answered at the bar. And on the way out, he buys half a dozen houses, puts his helmet back on, checks the cams, and he sees Myrta doing sit-ups in the ship. Admires her discipline. And he realizes his words, not mine. He came perilously close to liking her again. (laughs) Whoa, Boba Fett likes a person. Yeah. Hello. He even tells her where they're going. A planet called Vohai. Pretty cool name. I thought that was a cool name for a planet. Why not? Vohai. I like it. He then realizes he's, he's opening up too much. I'm opening up too much. I got to clamp down on this. Got to go back to being distant, mysterious Boba Fett. I can't, can't let anybody in my life. Then he immediately proceeds to number one, invite her to come and sit in the front seat. Number two, he takes off his helmet, which was just a massive deal for somebody to see him without his helmet on. Number three, he just small talks with her about clones. Psych. No clamping down. There is no clamping. No, the gas gets blown. There's no clamping down. He's just, a tired, dying old man who misses his long-dead dad and long-estranged daughter. 71-year-old Boba Fett doesn't want to be alone anymore. This is what we're getting from all of his internal monologues. Yeah. Is that he doesn't... he Every time he buys the houses and he's like, what are you buying the houses for? They're an investment. What are you investing for, man? You're never going to... You have nothing to spend this money on. You have nobody to give it to Every time he's dying, he's like, what the hell is my legacy going to be? What have I accomplished in my life? Now, uh, all I have is a collection of money. Yeah, as he, you even, as, yeah, as you would when your mortality is right. finally Like it's coming, knocking right? on the door. And you've been a dude living on the edge of that mortality your whole adult life as a bounty hunter. Yeah. He, even if he doesn't realize it yet, he doesn't want to be alone anymore at the end of his life. 
the super cool, iconic, lone wanderer, gunslinger archetype. It's truly, when you look at it, it's a lonely and sad life. Like, we idolize those characters, you know? Like, the, the lone gunslinger wanders into town and make movies about that shit, right? Boba Fett is, is, is a decades beloved character because he's a mercenary, emo, portrayed as an emotional, emotionless mercenary who yeah. just pops in and pops out, does the job, and he's super cool. But the reality of that life is that it's horrible. Yeah. And by the time you're 71, you don't want to be alone anymore. And he even reflects on feeling sad about clones. Fett remembered feeling sorry for them as a kid, but his father had told him to be proud because they were perfect warriors. Sometimes he remembered that they were also his brothers. Whenever he met a stormtrooper going about Vader's business, he'd always wondered whether some remnant of his father's template of himself was behind that white visor, but he never asked. I thought the same thing all the time after watching Attack of the Clones and realizing all the stormtroopers originally were Jango Fett. Yeah. Going back and watching the other movies, you're like, how many of these dudes on the Death Star are still clones? Those ones that they specifically made, I think they talk about in this book, they were made of like a short shelf life, like 20 years or 40 years or something like that. But, like, at the time of episode four, five, six, it had only been five years. Yeah. So how many of those stormtroopers are kicking around with Boba Fett's face under the helmet? I always wondered that, and I'm so glad that it gets it gets said here. Interesting. Myrta says she met a clone last year from the Old Republic who bailed before Palpatine took power. Skirata is his clan name. Boba jerks his head at this name drop, which is the equivalent of shitting his pants for a (laughs) man as such as Boba Fett. Yeah. That would mean somebody solved the aging problem for these clones. AKA exactly what he's after. Handed it right into his lap again. Amazing. Amazing. All of his questions answered. Everything he ever wanted, especially handed to him by this girl. But Fett is weary. His father had taught him to watch out for traps. This was so close to what he wanted to hear that it triggered every suspicious nerve in his body, which was all of them. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I like that, man. You would, you would, you would be nothing but coiled muscles after 50 some odd years of bounty hunting. Yeah, not at all. No, you're just ready to make reactions, not decisions. <laughs> <laughs> but now Murta has info. He says, on both his dead wife and his living brothers. She's a valuable little deus ex machina, isn't she? <laughs> she is. Oh, man, she sure is. <clears throat> Cut to the Senate lobby on Coruscant. 8.30 in the morning. 8.35 in the morning. Why the specific time? Because something major has happened. Our boy. Our favorite. The mustachioed hero. Old Gil has retired. Yes, he has. No! (laughs) But he's our favorite. (laughs) No! (laughs) He ain't having this Jason and Galactic Alliance Guard business at all. Galactic Alliance Guard, by the way, henceforth to be referred to as GAG, because I'm not saying that whole thing every time. Gil ain't having it. Gil resigned. Jason, of course, is watching this on the news. 
sitting on the couch outside of Omas's office with Lumaya because yeah. he brings her everywhere <laughs> because he wants to get caught. Anyways, Gil is out. Nyathal is in. And I like that of everybody, Pelion is taking the moral high ground. Right. He The old imperial. Yeah. He's taking the stand saying, no, this can't happen. If you let it happen, I'm gone. The oh, whole, you did it? See ya. Yeah, the whole thing is over internment. Yeah. And of all people, yeah, the old Imperial says, no, listen, we can't. I've I've seen this before. We can't do this. So he bails. Nyathal is now the head of the Galactic Alliance Defense Force. Jason switches channels and he sees Thraken saying Centerpoint will be back in three months. I like this little channel surfing moment. It reminds me, it's like Beavis and Butthead, the two of them on the couch just flipping through music videos. Yeah. Change it. Change it. Anyways, Lumaya says to Jason, nice relatives, bud. You're more like your grandfather than you think. Lumaya knew Anakin Skywalker as her Lord Vader. He'd selected her as an intelligence agent. I haven't failed to notice the parallels, said Jason. No, you haven't, but you have failed to take heed of the consequences. They discuss their Sith plans outside of the office where the Jedi Council is telling the new head of the Galactic Alliance Defense Force, Cha Nyathal, telling her to be careful, be cautious, don't be aggressive. But Jason, as always, is questioning the Council's judgment. Of course. He found himself wondering why the Jedi Council hadn't given his grandfather the guidance he needed as a Padawan. If they knew he was the chosen one, why had no master from the council taken on the role of training him? Poor Obi-Wan. They dithered and left the task to you. Now they're dithering over another galactic war. And again, a great question. And he is not wrong. No, he's not. I've always wondered this myself. Eight-year-old space Jesus walks into the Jedi Council <laughs> and they say, we're not training him. He's too old. Okay, we will train him, but we'll give him to a guy who's not a Jedi Master yet. What the hell are they doing? And he's not wrong about the dithering either. They're fighting and arguing about what to do. And, that, and while that's happening, somebody moves up through the shadows to steal the power away from everybody. Yep. For evil for the sake of evil. He's got good questions, man. And I've thought that many, many times about little poor little Anakin. So, so, so stupid. Why yeah. they, why? The, uh, we get it. The old Jedi were blinded by their traditions and they were smashed to bits for it. So that is why Jason is so quick to question everything. He's seen it. It, it, it may, he makes an extremely good point that he, like, why wouldn't they have done that? Just, like, why would no one have kept a closer eye on Jason, too? All That's, that's the same thing. That's what that parallel is that you're supposed to draw, I think. Yeah. Where he's just said, I know I'm following in my grandfather's footsteps. Yeah. But, like, bud, you don't even know. <laughs> like you, You've no you're not, you don't realize how much you're not differing from his path as you think you are. Coming out of the meeting with Nyathal, Luke stops to tell Jason he doesn't like this GAG thing. I don't like it. Well, he's really not going to like it soon because Jason's next move is internment 
for Carillions. But even he knows it's extreme. Internment. Extreme. Dangerous and inevitable. When you could let go of your own need to be the hero, the admired one, the respected, and face being reviled for doing a necessary job, then you had finally overcome the most poisonous attachment of all, the love of ego. Jason was prepared to be hated in pursuit of a greater good. See, but no, the ego. <laughs> the ego, that makes no sense. What the... about what about the love of overcoming the love of ego? <laughs> what will happen with that? Find out next time on Forever Canon when we talk about chapters 9 through 12. This week has been a sobering reminder to talk to your friends who seem like they need help. I'm good. Do it. Good. I'm glad you're fine, Tim. I'm good. I'm Justin. I'm Tim. Bye. See ya. For any comments and questions, you can hit us up at forevercanonpodcast at gmail.com. Forever Canon Podcast is a Jay Plazer production. Catch us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube at Jay Plazer. Check us out.